Hello and welcome to KIOS at the Movies. I'm your host Joshua LeBure and on today's episode I'm here with Patrick Henney and Diana Martinez from Film Streams. And we're going to talk about the film All the Streets Are Silent. We were like, hey man, we could use the rapping over the skateboarding. This VHS tape resonated so strongly with people. See skate culture and hip hop culture like really find the synergy just made sense. It's the same expression, but two different presentations. If you're dope, you're dope. It don't matter if you're black, white, spotted, or dotted. It was like a puzzle that all came together. It didn't really matter where you came from. As long as you fit in that puzzle, you were good. Supreme opened, and it was like a place for everyone to go and hang out. They had the rap kids and the skate kids. People wanted to be part of that world. All the Streets Are Silent explores the convergence of hip-hop culture and skateboarding in the 90s. If you're not familiar with this scene and time, which admittedly I wasn't until this film, this is a culture that gave the world Zoo York, Supreme, Wu-Tang, Busta Rhymes, Kids, and so much more. This film is beautiful to look at. It's a compelling story with surprising depth, and I would absolutely recommend this film to anyone. All right, so I'm very excited to talk about this film. Uh, what did you guys think about All the Streets Are Silent? This movie really exceeded my expectations. It was something that just off of the summary, I knew that I'd be interested in learning more about. But then when I got into actually watching the movie, I was really surprised by how good the filmmaking was, how well put together the film is. Uh, and it made for just like a really great viewing experience. This is what this is what a documentary should be doing. <laughs> It's beautiful to look at, like all this archival footage, all this footage of New York. You know, it's it's really it's visually minded, right? Like you, it's not just talking heads. Um, it's as great to look at as as a film, which is a visual medium should be. And we talk about documentary a lot on this on this show. And I was really excited, so I saw this at um, Tribeca a few months ago, and I was super excited to see it because I think there's also um, you know, a kind of historical stereotype about skating being, um, about skateboarding being associated with punk, right. As opposed to hip hop. So I really like this, like other take on this story that I knew existed. Um, and I think it's made in, in the right way. It talks to the people it needs to talk to. Um, I think it's like inclusive of as many different parts of that community as it can. Um, it's just a really well-made film, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I grew up like learning how to skateboard and, you know, the early 90s, early 90s, I was very young. I was very far away from either coast. Um, I grew up in Texas and, and, you know, for me, like skateboarding, I had that story and it's been told a lot, like the story of the punk rock and of, you know, the Bones Brigade and, you know, the California West Coast skateboarding scene. And I was familiar with a lot of the Zoo York, you know, uh, East Coast stuff. I saw the videos, I saw all that stuff, but I didn't know the stories. So this is kind of one of those films that came across and like I learned something that was in my peripheral vision, but I never actually like dove into the stories of these people. And I found it fascinating and I thought it was really well done. And also just, you know, just how much like music that went to be like the iconic you know, hip hop and rap that I 
you know, was all over growing up, you know, was started in this like little culture from the same place that like gave us Zoo York and Supreme and this like New York skateboard scene and Larry Clark's kids, you know, which is something that, you know, most fans of indie film have seen at some point. And we kind of learn about the kids that kids was about. And I found that incredibly interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a great companion piece, especially to kids, because I think like kids was, well, famously written by Harmony Corinne, directed by Larry Clark, as you just mentioned, but like feels like one person or a couple people's version of what I feel like this documentary is a fuller expression or a fuller portrait of what that scene actually was, um, because it wasn't just um, a bunch of like miscreants although of course like that's like the heart of this culture the heart of that scene um was these sort of like street kids but i mean there's also like business people or business minded people there's also like artists there are people who weren't necessarily 100 partying all the time although it seems like that was a common denominator <laughs> or it shows like a different a different side like these are the people right outside the frame of kids uh the film that have like maybe some of their stuff together a little bit more. Well, yeah. So many of the kids that were actually involved with the movie kids are, you know, no longer with us. And actually I thought it was really interesting getting more of the story of Harold Hunter because I actually just became aware of him. Like I saw kids a long time ago and I've never revisited it because it's just one of those films that, you know, I saw a long time ago and was like, Oh, that was interesting. That was something different that I haven't seen, but it wasn't anything that connected with me on any it didn't feel like my teenage years because I didn't grow up in a huge city like New York. And, you know, I kind of grew up in the suburbs of Denver and it's just very different. So that did not feel like my life. But I just watched Kid 90, Soleil Moon Fry's documentary that she did kind of about growing up in like, you know, being a child actor in the 90s and just all of the loss that she dealt with and a big part of like her friendship was when she moved to New York and kind of became friends with a lot of these people. She's not mentioned in this film specifically, you know, Harold Hunter and a lot of these kids in this like New York skate scene are a big part of a lot of her friends that she lost along the way to addiction and suicide and a lot of stuff that a lot of these kids who were, you know, dealing with their struggles at the time were going through. And I, and I, so I thought it was interesting that like, that got kind of, I wasn't expecting that to be part of this film. And then I, it, it just brought me back to remembering that and getting more of that context from a different view point. I thought of that. I thought of that documentary a lot as well during, during this because of the obvious, you know, um, connections there. I was really, really glad that they got a hold of Leo Fitzpatrick and Rosario Dawson to talk in mm -hmm. this film. I thought, especially Rosario Dawson was, she was just like, First of all, just like so magnetic. She's so good. Amazing. I love her so yeah, much. Yeah, her presence is so crucial to this documentary, I think. But also like these are and then along with like Chloe Sevigny, who they did not get <laughs> for the documentary, but arguably probably wasn't as embedded in this scene anyway. Um, but anyway, it was great to see these two like survivors of that of that film, of that cast and of of this larger group of friends. Um just really, yeah, I had like a just nice. I just want to say that was nice. Yeah, and especially Rosario Dawson because she went on to be such an iconic, you know, actor. And I didn't realize, like, I didn't know her story that, you know, basically Larry Clark saw her on a stoop and was like, hey, you want to be in this movie? <laughs> what a weird guy. I don't know. 
uh, I don't know what I think about Larry Clark, but I I am appreciative that he gave us Rosario Dawson because, you know, she was kind of the one that really had a very successful career as an actor after this film. I think more and more, um, like, documentaries like this become really important because, um, like, this isn't a spoiler, but, like, at the, at the end of the film, you know, it kind of mentions how mainstream hip-hop and skateboarding has become skateboarding is an Olympic sport. Hip hop is like the, the dominating, you know, musical form. Yeah, <laughs> like if you look the, at Spotify charts, all of that stuff. Yeah. This is the first you know, year that, you know, I never yeah. thought skateboarding would be an Olympic sport and here it is. I mean, I think there was this point at which the X games became so commercialized that you're like, yeah, it's going to become an Olympic sport. But even then, right. Like, like that was a movement out of this subculture into a mainstream like it's really important to have documentaries that that literally document through archival footage like how these were at one point like not socially accepted art forms or forms of sport or movement because i think it's really easy to forget because i think now it's just kind of everywhere um and like as there are more and more discussions about you know, like cultural appropriation, but also the erasure of, um, you know, black and brown people from getting credit for like all the different ways that they've helped um, different art forms thrive. Uh, like this kind of stuff is, it's really important. And so I was just excited to see this um, because I know that in particular hip hop and skateboarding are like two of these things that I think if you're from a certain era, it's like really easy to just forget that at one point it was dangerous and it was like not accepted. And you're really putting yourself at risk by like openly being on the streets of New York with like these like identity affiliations. Yeah. I remember growing up with like stickers that said skateboarding is not a crime because like nobody liked to skateboarding at their places. There were no skate parks anywhere. And when I first started skateboarding, when I was younger, you know, in the early nineties, skateboarding, you know, they didn't really talk about this in the film, but skateboarding almost like the industry like came out from under it. Like it got, it was really big in the eighties for a while, but basically when the nineties rolled around skateboarding, like almost disappeared. A lot of the big skate companies shut down. Like a lot of the big sponsors went out of the sport. Like, you know, you go watch like some stories with like Tony Hawk and stuff. And they were going from being like these famous guys to being like nobodies, like overnight almost. And it's really interesting because I think in, this film does a really good job at telling the story of uh, capitalism in a sense, because, you know, this culture almost dies, right? And the way for it to survive is it has to become cool. You have to have these stories and you have to have this way of selling it. And then it goes to being, and it's like hip hop too, you know, like eventually, you know, all of these people are disconnected. New York changes. New York is, you know, a Mm -hmm. different city now. Hip hop is different now. It's not underground. It's the top selling, you know, it just passed up rock and roll for the first time, I guess, as being like the top selling type of music that I'm not familiar with other than this documentary telling me that. But, you know, I think about skateboarding, you know, such an underground thing. And then before skateboarding became an Olympic sport, you know, by the time I was in my 20s, I was like, oh, skateboarding is like bro culture now. (laughs) And it's really interesting to see how much it shifted over the years. And it reminds me of like, we're even moving further and further as we move into this like late capitalist era is like everything that we do, every hobby, every sport, everything that we love, we have to find a way to like 
survive in this society where, and we have to commodify all of our hobbies. And it's really interesting, like talking about that as like a podcaster, as somebody who loves film, as somebody who um, is an artist, you know, is is a dancer, is a skateboarder, is a a hip hop Mm -hmm. artist, is a band, you know, it's like, and that's always been there, but it's like, we're moving into hyper commercialization and hyper gentrification. And, and I think that this film like talks about that, but it mm-hmm. does it in a way that really paints that story of how that happens. And I found that really interesting and intriguing and important, just exactly like you mm-hmm. mentioned it. That's really interesting. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this movie in the frame of like also telling the history of how people, people are (laughs) forced to commodify the things that they love in order to keep doing them. Right. And that, and that's just like the story of a lot of artists through time. Exactly. Um, I think it's important as somebody who, you know, maybe at one point was like, you know, these punk bands I love are selling out (laughs) or whatever, you know, it's like, you always want this like purity and you always long for this moment when it was like a pure thing that was like your community. But at some point in a capitalist society, and that's just a fact of living and, uh, you know, at some point you have to detach from that to survive. Yeah. But then you get into like the thorny politics of like what happens when these people do make money. Exactly. Right. Like there's a lot of discussion, um, you know, in the, in the rap world, like among, activists of color like what is jay-z's role like what is he promoting is he promoting a kind of you know freedom freedom through through capitalism (laughs) like is he a pioneer is he an activist like is he like is he can he be all of those contradictory things at once you know and he's here he's in this movie so you like you know you see a young jay like doing his thing and then you kind of think of like where he ends up and what he ends up representing and you know his music now that's you know about owning art and all his investments that he's made it it becomes an interesting trajectory to to kind of continue the narrative beyond um you know the years that this film documents but i will say like i first of all i don't think this movie was thinking that globally i think like really this is a movie made by people who wanted to like there is like a triumphant tone to this this film as in like now it's not like sad like now i don't feel like it was so like now this is what has happened to skateboarding and hip hop it's like look what we did it was more the tone that i got and also i will say like for the purity of something is like i think like a lot of times that ideal comes from a place of of like comfort like what if somebody what if that is somebody's asset do you know what i mean like like i'm thinking of like specifically let's go back to we'll talk about bands like i've known art like music artists who have had opportunities and took them and got flack and they're like how long do you want how old do you need me to be and work in a coffee shop do you know do you you really want me to turn down yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. do you want me to turn down this like opportunity to be in a tv show like come on yeah. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a critique on my end of the film. I just thought that it was a it it just documents what the facts are of living, you know, in late capitalism specifically, but you know, um 
I just think that's the reality of it. It happens to everything that we love, you know? Um, and I'm not prescribing necessarily. I'm not criticizing anyone in the film for doing it. Cause if somebody came to me tomorrow and was like, Hey, do you want to direct a bunch of documentaries for Disney about Disneyland? I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause that's just the reality I need to live too. I need to pay my bills. It's not a critique. It's just something mm-hmm. that it just reminded me of that. And cause I've specifically been thinking a lot about, you know, there's a lot more studies and, and stuff like that, where a lot of our culture is moving to trying to commodify like your hobbies and stuff like that. And part of that is stagnant wages since the seventies, the rising cost of living, increased debt, you know, increased costs of schooling. It's just a lot of these things that are outside of this film that made me think about that specifically. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you think about Supreme and it was a place where people could go and be themselves and hang out and sit around outside. And I think about a lot of those things, you know, like people would just hang out and go skate and do all this stuff and be at Supreme. And now it's a place where people wait in line to get in. You know, they sell right. like $100, $200 t-shirts they're screen printed. They sold their company for $2 billion. You know, all to of these. Louis Vuitton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the parent company of Louis Vuitton. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Patrick, I think you're right. I, I feel, I feel, I think you're right. I, I think this film ends on a triumphant note, but I think for me more and more that the nostalgia as a viewer, like quickly turns to sadness. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, I yeah. think that it's, it's not in the film. You're completely right. Like that's not where the film is going, but like, if you take if you, yeah, I think it's, it's, just, secret- it's an after effect. I think it's secretly, like, oh. I do think it's secretly, I mean, not secretly, but I think it's in the film and it's in a few moments. It's in the moment where the girl, that black girl is a skateboarder and she is talking about, you know, seeing this girl with a Vans hat on and a Supreme shirt and, you know, whatever. She has all the skateboard gear on and then she skates up on her like, and the girl like, and she's like, and she's like, why are you freaking out? Like you're wearing all the skateboard gear, like, you know, whatever. Well, Um, I think more poignantly, it's more poignantly. It's those two images that you mentioned, Josh, of the kids sitting in front of Supreme Mm -hmm. in 1998 or whatever doing nothing. It was an unstructured. They're just, there's like three dozen of them because that is, they're, that's where they go and they're blocking the sidewalk they're hanging out they're like causing trouble it looks like a great afternoon <laughs> and then contrast that with a line of 200 people around the block to go into supreme that same location to buy aforementioned 200 t-shirt that has the like appropriated barbara krieger or kruger stylized logo on it like there's just mm-hmm. which i think they've you know whatever you can I think that controversy is pretty much put to bed. I think they, I don't know, but I don't feel that terrible about it. But um, no, I've kind anyway. of accepted it. It's just a fact. So what do you guys think people should watch with All the Streets Are Silent? The Convergence of Hip Hop and Skateboarding. Yeah, so they show the title card for Crystal Moselle's uh, Skate Kitchen, which I don't know, in the context, it felt almost like one of these movies that is like coming in and horning in on skateboard. I think Skate Kitchen is so wonderful. It's a collaborative movie that was made with an all girl um, skate crew that is there in, they just, they have an HBO series actually that's coming out right now, but they are the 20, you know, 2019, whenever that movie was made version of these kids. Like they are actually working class kids in New York 
who skate as an outlet. And they made this wonderful movie with this director. She also made Wolfpack, which is a documentary from a few years before that. Anyway, I think Skate Kitchen is wonderful. And uh, people, more people should watch that. I'd also like to talk about an older documentary uh, called Beautiful Losers. That is about um, a similar Manhattan kind of set. But these are like, I think the common denominator is Harmony Corinne and skateboarding and hip hop. But it's about uh, a scene of visual artists in Manhattan around the same time who were very DIY minded um, and created a gallery. And um, I just think that would pair really well with this. It's been a while since I actually really want to like figure out how I can revisit that film. But the list of visual artists who are in it, I mean, Harmony Corinne has already been mentioned, uh, Margaret Kilgallen, Mike Mills, Espo, Ed Templeton, Barry McGee, like it is a really, really interesting scene that's being documented uh, by this film. And uh, yeah, watch that too. I have two recommendations. Um, One is an article that people should read. Um, And the inspiration comes from um, what what I love about this movie is that it takes something that's really mainstream and national and like distills it back to the local. Um, and I was thinking about this and music, and we've talked about this article in our spare time, but it is, um, an article on vice by the writer, Alex Zaragoza. And she wrote an article called how I stopped caring and embraced my love of sublime. Um, and she talks about the long beach band sublime and how growing up in San Diego, they were absolutely everywhere. And I know people have their feelings about the band sublime. And she here is finally admitting to herself how much this band meant to her, how nostalgic it is for her, how it feels like home, um, and how sometimes things from home are really cool and sometimes we're really embarrassed by them, <laughs> but they are part of us nonetheless. It's it's a really fun, funny article, but I think also really does get you thinking about, um, you know, how different places in the country have their own kind of like sonic tone to them like what feels like california what feels like new york and what feels like your childhood and all of those things so that's a really fun article to read on vice and um, my second recommendation is a show on apple tv plus called watch the sound with mark ronson um it's super fun it's it's about the history of music but every episode is organized around a different music technology like distortion or sound machines or reverb. Um, And he kind of goes through the history of these sounds and how different artists are using them. And what's really amazing about it is like the, the, the breadth of who he talks to for this show. Um, Mark Ronson, the producer hosts the show. He talks to like Paul McCartney to Questlove to King Princess about all these different technologies. And it's just super cool. Um, It's also like really inclusive, uh, the episode on drum machines, like all of those guys are still alive. So you have like the inventor of the TR-808, like talking about how he invented it. It's super cool. Um, And that is called uh, Watch the Sound with Mark Ronson. I have two films to suggest. My first one is one of my favorite skateboarding films of all time. It's from 1986 by David Winters, starring Josh Brolin, called Thrashin'. (laughs) (laughs) I love this movie. I have since I was a kid and Tony Hawk's in it and people are skating in bowls and there's like skateboard gangs that like 
are mad at each other and one's like super punk rock and the other one's like super like the bad guys are all these like punk rock kids and like the the good guys are these kind of california like surfer looking bros um (laughs) red hot chili peppers are in it it's a horrible horrible movie that i dearly dearly love um and then the other one is actually like i was just thinking more about like new york culture and actually when i was thinking about skateboarding and hip-hop you know the first thing that popped into my head because they used to be a punk band and they were kind of in the middle was Beastie Boys and they do mention them in this film. And I just recently watched, you know, Beastie Boys Story by Spike Jones that on Apple TV Plus and I just thought it was a really well done documentary and I thought it gave so much context to this band and and dealt a lot, you know, with um you know, how they started to where they ended up and just their friendship and their, you know, grief about losing Adam Yaw and just like the effect that he had on their lives and just beautiful film. I really loved that film. So BC Boys Story on Apple TV Plus. All the Streets Are Silent is now playing on Film Streams at Home. For KIOS, I'm Joshua LeBure. For Film Streams, I'm Patrick Kinney. And for Film Streams, I'm Diana Martinez.